Hello, this is Tom Williams, and you are listening to Talk Theater in Chicago's interview podcast uh, for uh, Monday, April 26th. Our guest today is one of the legends of Chicago theater who has quite a resume. He's a singer, dancer, and a terrific actor, Dennis Kelly. Hello, Dennis. Hi. You said a legend. That means I must be over 60. Well, no, legend meaning meaning that you've been around a long time and have uh, amassed quite a body of work. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. Tell us about the current show you're in. Uh, something is a departure for you, uh, a, a dramatic role. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Hiding Place, which is uh, a provision theater that's adapted by uh, Tim Gregory. Tell us about the show. Well, the show, uh, for me personally, it, it is uh, uh, sort of a sidestep because it's not a musical to begin with. Uh, uh, I've done so many musicals, not that many straight plays. And like you said, it's dramatic. It's also uh, adapted from an autobiography of Corey Ten Boom. Uh, Corey was uh, part of the family of which I'm the father, Casper, who hid Jews during World War II from uh, roughly 1941 through 44. And eventually they got caught. She went to a concentration camp. And uh, it's the story of their lives while they were hiding the Jews, and then the second act is all her life in the concentration camp. And the story is really about faith and uh, forgiveness. Yeah, yeah, it... uh... It showed uh, well, their motivation. I know a lot of all of the Dutch weren't necessarily religious. A lot of them helped the Jews just because it was the right thing to do. Absolutely. Yeah, but but in this case, in this family, they were they had quite a religious, uh, a strong religious faith, didn't they? They did, and that stemmed from Casper's upbringing. His grandfather uh, was a very religious man, and then his father, whose name was Willem, uh, carried on the tradition and as did Casper, and then uh, Casper named his son Willem after his father, and Willem himself even became a minister, uh, but he was involved with uh, hiding Jews even before Corey and Casper were. Yeah, they were, and they were Dutch patriots too, weren't they? They were resistance uh, underground people. Very much, and uh, like you said, uh, the Dutch had a very sophisticated underground in doing their work against the Nazis, and uh, they weren't all religious, but they were all very dedicated. So this this sort of supplements the the Diary of Anne Frank uh, type of thing. Only they they were in a small town. I, if I remember, Harlem is uh, uh, Harlem is a is a small uh, city uh, near the coast, not too close to Amsterdam. If I if I remember my geography right. Yeah, it is. It's uh, not too far either because they used to take uh, train trips every week. Casper did my character. Uh, when Corey was a little girl, he would take the train once a week and set all the clocks in the towers of, of Amsterdam. Oh, I didn't realize it, because there's a lot of clocks there, and there, many of them have been there for a long time. Yes, and he did, he did all of that. Yeah, he was a, he was a, uh, uh, he, he was a clock repairman, right? It was. was, and, uh, and, and Corey was, too, the, the, the principal, uh, the other principal in the show. Mm-hmm. In fact, he sent her to Switzerland to learn how to make watches, and he told her, if you can make them, you can repair them. Yeah, well, I would, I would think so. Uh, tell us how you prepared for this role, because, by the way, I thought you were, you were very strong in the role, because it was a, one of the pivotal roles, because if we don't buy you, we don't buy the family. That's right. Uh, he is the patriarch, and uh, that's where the, the faith begins, at least for the immediate family. 
And uh, but my preparation actually started with the uh, uh, the autobiography, the Hiding Place, uh, Corrie Ten Boom's autobiography. I had never heard of her before I auditioned for the. I did only because I lived in Holland for a year, and there was a movie about. Uh huh. And uh, so I uh, I got the book from uh, Amazon and uh, read it. it. It's a very good read and very emotional. I found myself in tears reading it. <laughs> it was, wow. Wait till the end of the day, and I'd read uh, oh, uh, two or three chapters a night, and uh, there were times that I thought, I hope Amy thinks I'm all right, because it's very moving. And uh, then after that book, uh, while we were in rehearsal, I read uh, Father Ten Boom, which she wrote about her father, Casper, and uh, also In My Father's House, which was a, more about her early years growing up in the Ten Boom family. And uh, there was a wealth of information to choose from. They're all very strong, broad characters. Uh, and uh, I learned a lot, actually, about their relationship with each other from these books. Yeah, because Bet- Betsy, the, the, her other sister, she was the really strong religious one. Because if I remember the, well, the, the, the play properly, uh, Corey, it takes Corey time to get to this ultimate area of forgiveness. It does. But Betsy even prayed for the Nazis. Her belief was there was some good in everyone. She did. And, in fact, it's a rather uh, funny yet touching scene when she begins praying for the Nazis as the Nazis are bombing (laughs) their city. And Corey says, I can't do that. I can't pray for them. They're trying to kill us. I sure couldn't either. And uh, she had a hard time dealing with that. But, uh, again, that's what the play is about. It's mm-hmm. forgiveness. And yeah. find out the, the play is bookended uh, by uh, uh, two scenes in which Corey is speaking to a group of people. I don't want to tell too much about no, it. No, right. That's where we find her forgiveness actually bloom and uh, happen for her. Well, the play starts out as a, as a uh, uh, kind of a parlor room uh, family show and and they do a mar- you guys all do a marvelous job of establishing what the Ten Bloom family was about what the Dutch people in that era and and, and that the play is multi leveled but certainly that that level was entertaining and then all of a sudden you see that the dark side you know how many people are tested by their beliefs right and uh, and they are tested and they stick to it and they did it without any hesitation it was amazing mm-hmm. yeah in fact, I think that was Casper's saving grace. It never occurs to him to not believe. Uh, I think he was uh, exceptional that way. I'm not that way. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so playing a character who's like that, I even have to tell myself as an actor to uh, just doing the scenes that Casper does not waver. He, he, uh, his safety is in his faith in God. But he also literally put his faith out on his sleeve because tell us about the scene well tell us what what he has on his sweater after the nazis occupy well he's wearing the golden jewish star and he says if we all wore them they wouldn't be able to tell the difference between us (laughs) he says i won't take it off till god tells me to yeah and uh so he uh, he showed his uh his belief that way and and his uh uh, well, enduring belief in the Jewish nation. Yeah. So you're, you've got to be proud of the work because I, I, there, you know, as a new work, it's all, it, it's of course a work in progress, 
And, you know, I know you've made a few changes in a, in a few edits, in it, but I think it ultimately is going to emerge as a, as a tremendous work of theater. I sure hope so. In fact, even last weekend, a uh, week after we had opened, uh, we were called for rehearsals, and Tim Gregory, who, who both wrote and directed the show, uh, did a wonderful job, but he made more cuts. Uh, and I know that's hard. Do you know he... Oh, it must be so hard for you guys as actors. To... Uh, to, to, how do I cut this? Which story? Which part of the story is safe to cut? And uh, but he's he's kept the focus of the story itself, so that he's telling the story of faith all the way through and of forgiveness. Yeah, and, and we know you know from being in the theater, you know, for all these years, that uh, sometimes shows do need cuts uh, for the audience's sake. That, sure. that there's, sometimes there's more power in having one dramatic scene than three or four semi-dramatic scenes, right? Absolutely, and you find that out in the running of the play. Even though you sort of know that going in, but you have to let the audience tell you when and where and what to cut. Mm -hmm. uh, Tim's kept his ears open pretty well for that, and who knows, after we close, uh, he may work on it some more. My university uh, uh, has shown interest. I was talking to one of my professors a couple of weeks ago, told him about the play. He knew of Corey Ten Boom because the university has a, a tribute, a Holocaust tribute, and uh, it's in Orange County, California, where Corey Ten Boom lived at the end of her life. Oh, okay. And uh, they honored her. They gave her a plaque and honored her in the museum. Uh, so he knew about her. Everybody knew about her except you and me. I, <laughs> I knew vaguely ab about her, uh, and it came back to me about halfway through the play. But because there, you know, there have been several of these stories, but uh, not not with such a unique family. And you should be proud of the work. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah we are. Yeah, and uh, so the the play runs till the twenty third is the hiding place at Provision Theater, which is you're in a terrific spot there. Oh, it right is right at Morgan and Roosevelt. Uh, mm -hmm. And folks, uh, we we definitely recommend the uh, the show. So, Dennis, tell us about this career. I was reading. I was reading through your bio. Mike, is there anything you haven't done? <laughs> a lot I would like to do. Uh, I've been fortunate, uh, really blessed, uh, to be able to perform on Broadway and in Europe and tour with singing choruses. Uh, I one of my first jobs, in fact, my very first job out of college was to tour with the Norman Luboff Choir. Is that right? I don't know if you remember them. Uh, vaguely. Norman. Uh, had the Norman Luboff sound. He actually wrote the song Yellowbird. Yeah, and I think he was on television a few times. Wasn't he, he was, yeah. and uh, he worked a lot with uh, the Hilos as an arranger. Mm -hmm. uh, with those the Hilos were tremendous, yeah. Yes, and uh, he became a mentor of mine, actually. And uh, But uh, to do that kind of work and then be able to do a, a musical and uh, some opera early on, uh, I've just been very blessed. And even going to Broadway... Uh, was pure luck. The only thing I was was prepared for it when it happened, but uh, uh, it just came right out of the. Well, you're another. You're another one of the uh, the Chicago ones that that uh, worked a lot for Bill Polinsky at Candlelight. I did, yes, and still do out at the yeah. center. Yeah, you were in Man of La Mancha and Newt Rockney. There, now, there's a show that I think it needs a remount that that I think could uh, could go places. I think so too. Uh David Bell took the helm on that one and uh did a rewrite and I really like uh, what he did with that show. Yeah, that was terrific. So uh so tell us how it was to work at the at the old Candlelight. The 
candlelight was like a home to me because uh, when I was very young, uh, living in New York, uh, Bill Balinzi hired me to do company at the Forum. Oh, what'd you play in company? And I was Larry. Oh, okay. And uh, uh, I we, that show ran for six months, and I, I was really impressed with the the acting community, the theater community in Chicago. The Jeff Awards were new; everybody was excited about that. But the actors seemed to do so well; they were so good, they got along, and they were supportive. And uh, it was a feeling in the air that was just exciting. So I really came to Chicago after that show closed. I went to New York, came back to Chicago to work on my acting because uh, there was uh, just a very exciting things happening with the theater in Chicago at that time. This is in the early 70s. It still has, still going on. <laughs> it is. And so I came to work on my acting, and I worked on it, and I kept working in the theater and doing industrial shows, and uh, I'm still here. <laughs> <laughs> It's a long booking, huh? Yes, but uh, how can you not love Chicago? Uh, I can't get away. I, I had an apartment in New York until about a year and a half ago. I let it go. Uh, but I still consider, considered myself a Chicagoan. Yeah. But let's... let's uh, I was looking at your bio here. National Tours. You're in town. Yes. Yeah. Jekyll and Hyde. Mm -hmm. Damn Yankees. Were you in the Damn Yankees with Jerry Lewis? I was. In fact, I was in it originally on Broadway with Victor Garber We're, oh, okay. and B.B. Newworth. Mm -hmm. And then uh, Victor left the show, Victor and B.B. both, and Jerry Lewis replaced Victor. But because he's such a big international star, we took a, a, a little time off, about six weeks off from the show, and actually closed the show on December 31st, 1994, I think it was, and uh, didn't reopen until the next March. And uh, and that gave Jerry enough time to learn it, and we rehearsed with him. And speaking of Bill Polinzi, during that little layoff we had in Damn Yankees, he had me come back to the Forum Theater, and I did You Can't Take It With You for it. <laughs> and then went back to New York before uh, You Can't Take It With You closed and continued. I grew to love Jerry Lewis. Uh, I told him, so I'm not telling a story out of school, I said... Uh, when your name first came up, you know, I, I knew him quite well when I told him this, but I said I wasn't for it because I was afraid it would be just become the Jerry Lewis show, and we had this nice little child we were nurturing. But I said, you didn't do that. You, uh, you took the bull by the horns and played the character, and everybody loves you. And uh, I don't think he'd ever done a major role on Broadway, had he? Oh, no, it was his Broadway uh, uh, debut. And uh, But he is generous to a fault. He's a wonderful actor. And what really surprised me is how consistent he is. Yeah, because usually comics, and he's known for a lot of ad-libs. Sure. Yeah, they'd be doing something different every night, and they would, boy, that's really got to throw all the, the other actors off. And I remember uh, the night we opened, he was on the David Letterman show. And, of course, we all watched it. It was uh, prior to the curtain. And he... Uh, uh, David Letterman said, well, are you going to have fun with this? What, are, what kind of antics are you going to He said, none. He said, i got 24 professional actors back there that will kill me if I mess them up. <laughs> but he stayed very true to the book, and uh, the one step out he did uh, was in the good old days, where the devil sings the uh, yeah. good old days. And he did a cane trick, which his father had taught him, where he tells a joke, uh, and on the laugh throws the cane up in the air, tries to catch it behind his back, misses it, turns stage right, another cane flies from stage right, he catches it, 
sharply turns to the audience and tells another joke. Wow. And he would do that. One time he did twice. He, he threw 21 canes before he caught it. When he catches it, then he goes on with the song. Wow. It was a great gag, and we were watching history in front of us because uh, there aren't people around who can do that sort of thing anymore. Yeah, and get away with it. And in, in that song, I could see that. Yeah. The, yeah the, that, that wouldn't, that's not uh, going out of character at all. Absolutely. It was a perfect place for him to do a step out. Uh, which is exactly what he did. And you could feel the audience when he caught the cane. They knew the jokes were over. And he would get this wonderful, warm applause and then finish the song out. Well, some of the shows I remember you in, uh, Cimberline at Chicago Shakespeare, uh, Phantom. Oh, Phantom. Yes. The the real Phantom. Tell us us about that. That was wonderful. Uh, What an experience. That was at the Candlelight, like you said. It... uh, Oh, what a what a wonderful show, and what a wonderful character Gerard Carrier is. Uh, and I think that's a role I can keep on playing, because Gerard can be as old as... Yeah, well, he's the father, right? He's the father. Yeah. And uh, it was fun for the audience. It was I, I was always surprised they never figured it out, it seemed. But when I would say, because he is my son, you would hear this... Yeah, and you have the marvelous duet with the Phantom right at oh. when he's dying. That's just ugh. you got everyone in tears by that time, huh? Absolutely, including me. <laughs> uh, when do you have the eleven o'clock number be between two baritone legitimate singers? Yeah, it was a uh, it was a pleasure every night to do that show. In fact, that's the show that eventually led me to my first Broadway show, Damn Yankees. Wow! Is uh, they came saw you in that show? Well, the. Uh, there was a theater in Kansas City that saw the show, and they called and asked me to come do it for them, and I did. And their director was directing a German tour of Phantom, the same show, and asked me if I would play it in Germany. I said, I'd be happy to. He said, the, the dialogue is in German, but the, the music is in English. And I thought that was strange, but I said, okay. And he said, contact my agent, give him your stuff, and we'll consider it a deal. So I did. Well, his agent happened to be an agent I knew from my old days in New York, and it was Brett Adams. And Brett Adams submitted me, called and asked if he could submit me for Damn Yankees. And I said, well, sure. Uh, And he did, and I got it. So I didn't do the German tour, but I did do uh, two years on Broadway. You know, that's a great lesson for some of the young uh, performers that listen to these uh, podcasts. You just... When you're prepared and you're out there, you never know what's going to happen, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so tell us some of the roles, some of the other roles that, that you are really proud of. Well, uh, La Cajal Fall would be one. Yeah. George, I, I was able to do that three, four times, uh, and I always liked that. You and Jim Harms made it a, a cottage industry, huh? We, we just about did. In fact, I, was, I felt badly when they revived it a few years ago on Broadway and it didn't do well in the reviews and I I called Jim and I said I I think from what they said that you and I should have done it. <laughs> he said I'm up for it, but I hear the one they're doing now is excellent. Oh, that's good. So that's one. Give us a couple that's others. One uh boy the oh uh this was fun for me. It was fairly recent. It was uh Caroline or Change, the part of Mr. Stopnik. That's right. Oh, yeah. was he fun to play. And uh uh, and at the Court Theater, I hadn't worked there with Charlie, and uh, what a good show that was, and what a great cast. Well, it was one of the most successful shows they've ever had there. Uh, 
he, he even took, uh, the theater did, a full-page ad at the end of the show thanking Chicago for yeah. the coverage. Yeah, I interviewed Charlie oh, right when he was doing that show. And boy, you talk about an intense guy and, and a tremendous artist. He really is. Yeah. Uh, they moved that show. Did you get a chance to go with that show? Uh, no. In fact, I wasn't aware they moved it. I knew they were talking. Uh, well, maybe they didn't. I don't know. I know he was talking about. It. I shouldn't say that because I don't have the facts in front of me on that one. Uh, but that was that was uh, that was terrific. So you're hoping to get back and doing some more musicals, or, or no? You've got one coming up. You told me about. Tell us about. I have one. I'll be doing Yeoman of the Guard for uh, Light Opera Works up in Evanston, and uh, that one. In fact, I'm working on it as we speak. Uh, I have a patter song at the end. And Rudy Hogan-Miller told me he didn't think I had one when I said I would do it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he said, oh, yeah, that one. But, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. It's uh, The music is wonderful. This is a show that isn't done too much. No, I, I've seen it only once, and, and I was uh, uh, surprised how good it was. I'm, why don't they do it more? They said, I, I read that it was their favorite show, or at least Sullivan's favorite show. Yes, that's what I had read, too. Uh, it, the music is more operatic. The story is operatic. And uh, uh, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. Unfortunately, we only do about six performances of it. Well, they're so expensive with the full orchestra. And that's going to be exciting. Yeah, the sound they get. They, they do some tremendous work up there. So you're going to really be belting it out and, and getting, getting, all you, getting your tongue going huh, for that, those patter songs. Lips, tongue, and teeth. <laughs> <laughs> that'll, that'll be fun, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, now, I always ask this question of, of veteran actors. One is, what advice would you give the young kids starting out? Actually, you know, there, there are a couple of, uh, uh, oh, what do you call them, uh, typical ones. Uh, you know, don't learn your lines and don't run into the furniture, furniture and all that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one that, that actually it, you could be, consider it lightweight, but it's very true, pay your phone bill first. <laughs> you, you have to be there for the call. But the best thing, the best thing is to always be prepared for yourself. When you're not working, no matter what what the actor is doing, when they're not working in a play, to take a class or to learn monologues, keep the mind working, uh, and be ready for those breaks when they come. Uh, so many times we get breaks and we don't realize, we don't recognize it, and it's happened to me. And uh, then when it's over, I realize I wasn't really prepared. Hmm. And uh, by preparing, I mean, uh, I don't mean putting your suit on at 6 o'clock in the morning. I mean uh, keeping yourself healthy and keeping your mind clear, keep it learning, keep reading, read. Going to see plays, too, isn't it? And don't you think that's important? see a lot of plays. You have a lucky job. You yeah, I, well, I have the I have the greatest. That, that's why one of the reasons I do these podcasts, seriously, is you got to give something back. I, I mean, what great entertainment. The other night, uh, last night I was stuck with no show on a Tuesday. So I was like, I need a night off. I started turning television on. Oh, my God, there's nothing on television. We hardly watch. Yeah, I mean, the, the, they're not actors. Uh, it's just brutal. It's right all—it's all young, pretty faces, and none of them can act. Yeah, it's, that's true. And or at least uh, I'm surprised some of them can. They're just not allowed to. I guess not. And every shot is like a headshot, and it's last five seconds. They just mm-hmm. keep jumping around. Yeah. Yeah. It's and the, and the scripts are lame. There's nothing like the theater. Right now, and Amy is at Victory Gardens. Uh, we see a lot of theater. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, 
I love it. And, uh, and reading plays is important because reading a play and seeing a play are two different things. Yeah, and is there, is there a certain point of view you, when you read plays, you just read them for enjoyment or do you read them uh, and then all of a sudden you start seeing a role, hey, I'd be good at that role, and then, and then kind of get into that role? How, how do you approach that? Sure, that always happens in reading a play, especially if you don't know about it and suddenly a, a role will stick out, you know, and you can't help that happening. But mostly I just read a play for the story. I want to see the story and how they're telling the story, and eventually some style will come out. The, the writer will let you know the rhythms and that sort of thing. Uh, but you need to read a play many times, especially if you're preparing to do it. Uh, even before you start working on the play, you need to just read it and let the play unfold for you. Mm-hmm. Is this all part of the, let's say, the rehearsal process? Let's say you go, uh, you call the equity hotline and you see a certain show is uh, they're auditioning for it. Uh, give us how you would prepare or how you would advise young actors to prepare for an audition. Well, I can tell you what I'm doing right now. Okay. There's a... Uh, a play, the the madness of King George, that's coming up. Mm. I uh, uh, at Chicago Shakespeare. Yeah. I uh, read that a, oh a couple of weeks ago somewhere, and I remember seeing the movie. I've never read the play, and so I've gone looking for it. Uh, today later, I'm going to go online, uh, see if I can find the play. Maybe it's not published. I don't know. If I can't find it, then I'm going to call around and see if somebody has a copy from somewhere and get it. But I'll, I'll read it. That's the first step, is to read it, and then read it again, and then read it again. Uh, even auditioning for it to, to know. It takes a lot of time sometimes, but maybe that third read is more of a skim. You know, you don't mm-hmm. read a particular scene again. Uh, but especially before rehearsals, uh, pre-rehearsal is just reading the play, and let it play for you without asserting yourself on it. And uh, the character will unfold pretty well and then of course you do the other background work uh on the play and it it's sometimes it's more necessary than other times depending on the play uh how much research you need to do but i find myself uh maybe during the second reading anyway i will have a piece of paper and pencil and i start writing down words that i don't know Mm. uh uh, realize i don't know what that means Uh, what is that word and so i'll write them down and then uh, look them up in the dictionary. Uh, it's amazing how much insight you get. For just yeah, and it's amazing how many plays we see where you hear the actor talking words, and you know they're talking words. They don't know what they're saying, because if they did, they would emphasize it differently. Absolutely. And that nothing drives me, that drives me crazy. It, uh, and you see it quite often. Uh, there used to be an adage, if you don't know what something means, just smile and say it fast. <laughs> that really doesn't work. <laughs> okay, my, my, there's another question I always ask everybody. Uh, tell us some of the roles that you're dreaming to play or you'd love to play. Oh, well, this sounds funny, but I would love to do the operatic version of Death of a Salesman. There is an operatic? I'm not aware of that. There isn't. It needs to be written. Okay. So I need to get on the phone with Michael Mahler. Or yeah, get a, yeah, get kids like Michael Mahler. Yeah, he, <laughs> he'd be good for that. But yeah, there are. But so Willie Loman singing the eleven o'clocks. I'm just belting the big angst song. Huh? <laughs> that would that would be something. There are plays like that that I don't think of them as sing-throughs or musicals, but a, a play like that really is an opera. Yeah, that could be an opera. Yeah. Someday it'll be done, I'm sure. Yeah, there are uh, 
Uh, gosh, outside of that, there are mostly plays now that I think about more than musicals. Okay, what, what does tell us some of them? Yeah. And there are a lot of the Shakespeare characters. We could just go right down the line that I am prime for. I had so much fun the other night watching Mike Nussbaum on stage. Yeah, wasn't that a treat? He was having so much fun himself. And there, that man, did you see him run up and down those stairs and run across the stage? You know, he does. He told me this when I interviewed him. He does one push-up for uh, a day uh, equal to his age. So he does 86 Eight push-ups a day. Push-ups. I okay. couldn't walk I couldn't do 86 in a week. There you go. But that, that reinforces what I was saying earlier. There's a man, 86 years old, who's still keeping himself in shape. Yeah. And he's able to get on that stage with those young people and cavort with them. Oh, he held his own, didn't he? <laughs> oh, big day. in fact, they had to hold their own. Yeah, yeah, he, he had some great funny lines that he, he just nailed so well. He did, and he's a real pro. Yeah, yeah, he's, he's, he's a good man. Uh, he's definitely a good man. So you'd like to do some Shakespeare? Falstaff? I, I would like to do more. Would I, you do Falstaff? Pardon? Would you play Falstaff? Falstaff, I don't know uh, if I could be big enough for that. Hmm. Uh, I don't mean physically, but he's he's a, such a, a character. That would, I would, uh, if I were asked to do that or if I thought I had a chance, I think I would go into private coaching for that. Wow. And, uh, but. I could see you playing that. I've had people tell me there's a leer in me. Yeah. I always thought they meant the, the way I looked at others. <laughs> uh, but they said that, I guess, after Cymbeline is when that started. I guess mm -hmm. there was something tragic about that character of uh, Belarius. Yeah. Yeah, there is. And so you definitely want to do some Shakespeare. How about some, uh, like, Oscar Wilde or uh, Shaw? Uh, Shaw, perhaps. Boy, they're wordy. Yeah, Oscar Wilde. Uh, I don't know if I have the finesse for that, but it's something that I would certainly would try on the suit. You know? uh, yeah. How about Stoppard? Uh, Stoppard, absolutely yes. Yeah. It's so cerebral and wonderful. Well, it's great language. These are all you know. They're all language people, and I've never done a mammoth play. Hmm. I was listening on the radio the other night to uh, Rebecca Pigeon and John Mahoney doing a play called The Reunited, I think, something like that. It was a one-act, an early one-act, and uh, they were a lesson in Mammoth. Well, he, Mike Nussbaum helped put Mammoth on the, on the map, yes. literally, yeah. It was uh, John Mahoney doing it. Yeah, yeah, John Mahoney, the two of them. Yeah, they, yeah that would be that would be. I could see you, do you know the play A Life in the Theater? Mm-hmm. Wouldn't you like to play the... Uh, you get some, some strong young kid to play with you? That would be fun. Yeah. Oh, and there's another one, not a mammoth, but two Shakespearean actors is good, and the dresser. Yeah, the dresser. There's, there's lots of wealth out there, and but they're in plays, not musicals. So uh, I'll still do another phantom if it comes around. Oh, you still have the voice. You can still belt. There's a, there's a, wealth, uh, a wealth of material out there that I haven't even tapped. Yeah. Well, it sounds like you're having fun, and, and uh, I, don't, I don't see you ever retiring, do you? No. A friend of mine says old actors never retire. They just become uh, more selective. <laughs> well, I guess, that, I guess that's true. <laughs> well, you're, I think you did a marvelous uh, performance in, uh, in The Hiding Place, and, and you know, that was one of the key roles. Thank you. And, uh, of course, the girls were great in it, but... Uh, they're wonderful actors. Today we did a, uh, a morning show for uh, two high schools. It was the oh, did you really? Act with high school kids. And what was the reaction? It was very. They were very quiet. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, they laughed at some of the obvious things, but we had a talk back. And that's when I found out they were quiet because they were listening. Good. Fascinated with that period of time in history and fascinated with some of the, uh, the staging, uh, how some of the violence was portrayed and that sort of thing. Good. Good. That, yeah, because I was at, a, uh, at court uh, for one of the August Wilson plays where they had a high school group there. And they were text messaging, talking on cell phones. Oh. They almost stopped the production. It was so rude. I, I, I started hollering at the intermission at the principal until I said, do something. Get them to stop. Yeah. And he did, thank God. But, That's uh, unusual. I've uh, done a lot of those, and I haven't come across that. Yeah, one time it was, I won't name the school, it was a rich south suburban high school. So it wasn't inner city. It was, you know, supposedly sophisticated kids. They were just rude. But that's good. That's a great sign that they were quiet. They were really taking that in. They were, and their questions were were intelligent. So I knew they weren't just, you know, asking about how do you get to be a star. They were interested in the story. Good, good, because uh, uh, thank God the, the theater community in Chicago is doing more and more of these productions in bringing the kids in because they're our future audience. They are, and I think it's very wise. Yeah, yeah, uh, all the way, passing it on the torch, but even just, you know, uh, for survival, you need your young audiences. Mm-hmm. That's great. Well, Dennis, thank you so much. Um, just keep up the good work. Uh, all you guys that are that are that are the treasures. You know, one great thing about treasures, we all have to enjoy it. And and I, I've enjoyed your work over the years, and I just really appreciate you coming on the on this the, this interview. Well, thank you very much, Tom. I've had a good time. <laughs>